the 11 o'clock service, and you're ready to have church. I see Todd up here singing with all his heart because he's a real man. He knows how to worship the Lord. That's what real men do. This is a great day as we kick off Generation Church here in Ahwatukee. And in case you don't know, we have so many volunteers and team members that have worked so hard to make it possible for us to launch today. Why don't we just give them a round of applause? Our leaders, our volunteers, they're doing it for the Lord. It's awesome. Next week, we're starting a new series called The Elephant in the Room. And we're talking about like all the most awkward things that you could basically talk about, like racism and gender identity and, and injustices like that, divorce and money, all the things that we think about a lot, but we don't talk about because we don't really know what to say. We're just going to look at the word of God and see what he says. And that will equip us, I believe, to go out into this world as a light for Jesus and speak truth in love. Amen. So don't miss that. Be here from that. It'll be a blessing to you and it will equip you to live for the Lord out in this world. Well, I'm going to get ready here to, to talk in a moment, and I started thinking about this uh, message today, and it made me think about being back at, as a young high school student, coming out of high school, and I did what a lot of students do, is I was going to go to, to college. I was going to go to Arizona State University, the Superior State University. Amen. And I started applying for scholarships and they interview you and you felt your application and, and you kind of have to like tell all the things that you did and why you deserve a scholarship. And so, you know, you're kind of answering the questions as they, they interview you like, well, did you have good grades? And it's like pretty good, you know, like pretty good. Right. And then, well, were you in the National Honor Society? And I was like, the National what? You know, like, were you a captain on your sports team? Nope. Uh, they'd be like, did you run for student council or anything like that? And I was like, no, because what if I ran and nobody voted for me? It'd be humiliating. So I didn't do any of those things. And so I started kind of like feeling regretful in that moment, in that experience, thinking like, man, I wish I could go back in time and talk to chubby 16-year-old Ryan and tell him, chubbier, I should say, and tell him, bro, don't waste this time. Right, you're gonna you're gonna go into school now. You got one shot, one opportunity. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Make the most, right? You gotta make it count because what you do today is gonna affect the opportunities you have tomorrow. So you want to make it count. And as we have this new beginning here in Ahwatukee and start Generation Church uh, here, we want to make the most of this. And the way that we do that is we begin with the end in mind. This is not something that we naturally do as people. We tend to live in the here and now. We want to start out by thinking about the finish line. So I'm going to talk to you this morning on the topic of that. Here's the title of this message as you're taking notes. You can write this down. Make it count. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, make it count. You tell your husband, you better make it count. You're lucky I married you. <laughs> we're going to go to Matthew 25. And starting in verse 14, we're going to read through verse 30. And this is a parable that Jesus taught. It's called the parable of the talents. But talents is not like skills. It's a, a unit of measure. So a talent was like a, a, a weight of gold. Or it's called the parable of the three servants. Or it's sometimes called the parable of the investments. Here's what it says, starting in verse 14. 
Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Notice that word abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After the, a long time, the master returned from his trip, called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. And he said, let's celebrate together. I love the master that he loves to celebrate. Do you love to celebrate anybody? We love to celebrate in this church. It's bum, 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 Amen. Okay, back to this scripture. Verse 22 says, The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said again, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Celebrate good times. Come on. I love Jesus. Loves to celebrate. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What does that mean? It means back in old school farmer talk, you're a businessman and you you expect a return on your investment. You don't mess around. You have a high standard. In verse 25, he says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I had harvested crops, I didn't plant and didn't mess around with my business, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver to those who use well what they are given. Listen, even more will be given and they will have an abundance But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And then he says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it guides our path and our steps. It shows us the way, Lord. Thank you for speaking truth to us, even when it's difficult for our own good, so that we can experience the blessings that you have and live in your love for us. Thank you, Lord. Open our hearts right now. Speak the truth to us and help us to receive it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Okay, so this parable that we just read. Now, this parable is a way that Jesus taught by telling a story like this to get the point across. He was wanting to make a point. When we read this, we're not forming our theology of salvation, okay? So it can be a little confusing if you don't understand that. We know as Christians who read the New Testament that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, We cannot earn our salvation. It's not by our own good work, so we can't boast about it. It is the free gift of God that we just receive and say, thank you, you really love me, all right? 
So we know like, man, being a good person doesn't get you into heaven, right? Jesus gets us into heaven when we trust him. Okay, so we know that. So this passage is not about, you know, this guy got saved and this guy didn't get saved. It's about us as Christians who serve Jesus, our master, serving him well and being good stewards of the resources that he gives us. So it's giving us instructions about how to serve him and what really we should be trying to do. We want to serve our master well. Amen? So you got to ask yourself this question right up front. Will I receive a reward or rebuke? Okay, this is kind of intense, but just good to get us right on the same page. Will I receive a reward or rebuke? Now, this is not a sermon about money, but really what the money represents. The master gives out treasure to these servants. and He gives them, you know, five bags of silver to you, two bags of silver to you, only one to you. And this treasure, it represents, of course, opportunity. And any businessman, any entrepreneur knows that money is opportunity. If you have money, you got the opportunity to do all kinds of good stuff. You can take your lady out on a date, right? You can build a house. You can start a business. You can invest that money and make more money. You can go on a trip. You have all kinds of opportunity when you have money. It's really up to you to decide what you'll do with the opportunity that money gives you, okay? So we want to think about opportunity as we read this passage, that's really what we all want, right? Nobody expects the world to just come along and give you everything you want on a silver platter. Unless you're a millennial. And then you're like, what do you mean? You're not going to give me what I want, right? We still love millennials, but God has a word for you, okay? We just want the opportunity to do good things, to be successful, to, to make a way in this life. We want the opportunity. We want a fair shot, right? And so when these servants received their treasure, um, we have to understand we receive treasure or opportunity as well. And our treasure comes in these forms. It's our time. Your time is a part of your treasure. It's a resource. You've got a limited amount, right? It's the one thing you can't get more of. Once it's gone, it's gone. We've got our physical bodies and our energy and our skills and gifts. That's part of our treasure, our resource. And we've got money. Money. Money is a resource. And this treasure that God gives us creates opportunity. And we want to make it count. So you have to ask yourself as a Christian, how am I going to spend my time? What really prioritizes how I spend my time for me? What do I do with my time? Do I kind of frivolously waste it? Do I just kind of play all the time? A lot of you guys are really busy, and you got to think about that. What am I so busy with? What am I using all my time on? Are you busy doing things that don't really matter? So you got to think as a Christian, like, am I going to make the most of my time? Am I going to get plugged into a church and serve and learn how to lead and learn how to make disciples and make a difference? Or am I going to watch Netflix? Both are fun. One has an eternal reward and one doesn't. Okay? You got to make the most of your time. You got to make the most of your, your physical energy and, and while you're young and while you still have a body that can move and, and, and groove and do stuff. You want to use that energy for the good of the Lord. You want to build his kingdom rather than just trying to serve yourself and building our own little kingdom. So, am I going to use my body for God's glory or am I going to try to serve myself? And, and a lot of people do this by serving on a team, volunteering, serving in the food bank, or, or serving out in the community. 
community and loving people, but man, you want to make a difference with your energy. And then probably this is the most sensitive one and tricky is you have to ask yourself, how am I going to use my finances? And so don't be nervous. We're not going to take any more offerings after this service. But let me talk to you about this. You have to ask, am I going to only use my money for myself, satisfying myself, hoarding it up for the future? Will you say, I want to pass it on to my kids and leave an investment. But Ecclesiastes says, your kids are going to spend all your money, right? Like so, and if they don't, their kids will. Are you going to use your treasure, your, your finances to bless other people? Are you going to use it to invest in the kingdom of God? which is the one investment you'll make that actually guarantees a return by God, that's a good deal, right? Are you going to use your investment wisely? Are you going to be generous the way that God is generous to us? We got to ask ourselves these things. This is a real important moment. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul writes this to Timothy, who he was discipling. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Isn't money unreliable? You'd be like, no, it's, it's cash money in my pocket, right? But anyone that has a 401k knows that one minute you can have a nice balance. And then in 2008, when the market crashes, you got half what you had yesterday. So money can be unreliable. It says their trust should be in God. We know that because God can take care of me a lot better than I can take care of me. He richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God cares about you enjoying your life. So here's what he says. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. A generous life is the true life that God wants you to live. I love that this passage says, teach those who are rich. How many of you guys are rich? All right. Okay, good. a couple of rich people. That's great. I'm happy for you. You got nothing against rich people. Now, here's a trick question, actually. We're all rich. We are. If we compare ourselves to all people throughout the history of the world, living in America, thank God, home of the free, land of the brave, all that, we are rich by worldwide standards. In fact, I was looking this up. I was researching this a little bit. The bottom 5% of earners in America, which is people who make less than $6,000 a year, is still richer than 70% of the world today. So we are rich. Paul's writing this to us, okay? So we have to listen, think about it. How am I going to use my riches, am I going to use it to bless others, to be generous, to share, to store up treasure in heaven by investing in God's kingdom? Or am I going to waste it on foolish things that fade away? You know, there are some things that, that really make a difference. Like when we, when we say, see people give their lives to Jesus and we, we serve the Lord, when we give uh, like in the offering at church. A lot of people give in that offering not because they have to. They're not paying Christian dues, right? They're giving because they want to honor God with their finances. And this is like kind of a, a maturity thing. When you first give your life to Jesus, you come to church and unless someone tells you any better, you're just like, this is so awesome. I love my church. And you never think about 
about like, how did this happen? Like who built this place, right? How did this all come together? And so Christians know that when I give, I'm worshiping God and I'm building his kingdom so that other people can come and experience new life in Jesus. That's why we do all that. So when you grow into maturity as a Christian, you start to think about other people and that's usually when we start to become generous. So we give those tithes, those offerings, we give above and beyond that to kingdom builders, which is how we give to missions and support church planning and feed hungry people around the world. It's important because God has given us treasure and we want to make account. We want to do what he's called us to do with this opportunity. Now notice in this passage that we read, God gave the servants treasure according to their abilities. According to their abilities. Okay, so He's good like that. He, he, he noticed their abilities. He didn't want them to get in over their head. You ask yourself, though, like I like to ask myself kind of the, those, these questions, like how did he know their abilities? And then, then you kind of have to common sense logic realize he must have been watching them. He must have known them. And that tells me, this is interesting, because if you're like a young person and you're like, man, I just want more opportunity. I want someone to give me a promotion. I want, I want someone to give me a chance to lead a ministry. I want someone to just give me a shot. God is watching you. Even when you don't realize, even when no one else is watching you, God is watching you. And he's looking to see who will be faithful when no one is looking. Who will keep working even when they don't get that word of appreciation that they wish. I see and... Here's what is going to determine the opportunity we receive. He gives it according to their abilities. And what that means is not according to their skills, according to their talent. Because I used to think that that's what it meant. Like, he gave it to me, gives me opportunity according to my gifts. But that's not what it means. Because I, I, you can use that as an excuse for not doing a lot for God. If you misunderstand this, you can say like, well, I don't do a lot, but that's because I'm like a one bag of silver guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't got much to work with. I just use what God gave me. And, then, and that's not what it means. This word abilities that is used in that passage comes from a Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. I like saying it. And it's where we get our word dynamite. And this word means in the New Testament, most often, over 75% of the time, is translated to mean power. He gave them investment to use, opportunity, according to their power, their capability, and the mighty works that they had done up until that point. God sees us, and he looks at how much power you have. This is kind of different. This is interesting. This word, power, same word is used by Jesus in Acts 1.8 when he says, you will receive power. Same word when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He said, you're going to need power. So wait for my Holy Spirit. And guess what? Today is Pentecost Sunday. We remember the day of Pentecost, which took place, Pentecost means 50, took place 50 days after the Passover when God poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples to give them the power they needed to go out and work for him and be his witnesses. So today is Pentecost Sunday. We remember the day of Pentecost. We know we need God's power. We need his Holy Spirit. I love this verse, Ephesians 3.16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, same word, through his spirit in your inner being. So listen, every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. 
And that's what gives you the opportunity to resist sin and to live for God. But what we see on the day of Pentecost is that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. So understand this. You have the Holy Spirit if you believe in Jesus, but you can have more of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool. How do you get more of the Holy Spirit? That's the obvious question. And here's the answer you ask. You have to ask. God wants you to ask. And here's what's so cool. If you ask for him to give you more of his spirit, he's going to give it to you. The Bible says that he's a good father. And if you ask him for gifts, he loves to give gifts. The Bible says if you ask him for bread, is he going to give you a stone? No, right? So if you ask him for more of his spirit, I believe he will give it to you. So you got to think about that. I should be asking for more of God's spirit. Like every week, I'm going to ask God, fill me with your spirit again. I need more of you, God. If you want God to give you more opportunity, maybe you need to be praying for more power. Let me say it this way. If you want God to give more opportunity to you, you need to get more of his spirit in you. So start praying, God, fill me up. Let me have more of your spirit so that I can be more effective for you. Because it's his spirit in you which gives you the wisdom to use your time the right way. His spirit in you gives you the the courage to do what's honoring to God with your body instead of just doing whatever you feel like doing in the moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the spirit of God in you which causes us to be generous. Because I know that without God, I would not be generous. I'm just going to be honest. I would be a greedy dude. Like none for you is more for me. Thank you. But that's not how Christians live. Because we're trying to be like God who leads by example in generosity. So more power creates more opportunity. You want to have more opportunity in life? Get more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Make your life count for what matters. So it's great to have opportunity, but when you get that opportunity, you got to do something with it, don't you? That's that's a big difference between opportunity and someone who takes advantage of that. And we know how sad it is when someone wastes their opportunity. It's like one of the saddest things in life, you know, when, when someone just, man, what a waste of opportunity. And we don't want to be like that in our relationship with the Lord. We want to make our lives count. Our Lord Jesus, the Bible says he expects a return on his investment. So he's talking to us as Christians, and he's like, man, I gave you a new life. I gave you my spirit. I want you to do something with it. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. He doesn't mess around. He's trying to seek and save the lost. He wants us to be a part of building his kingdom. And so we can kind of see how this plays out when we look at his servants. He gave one servant five bags of silver. That dude came back with 10 bags. That's legit. That's 100% return, man. Like, I don't know if you would take that in the stock market, but I know I would. If you don't don't understand that, you need to learn about how investing works because that's amazing, right? This other guy, he got two. He came back with four. I get, think about this. He probably had to work even harder to get 100% return, right? But then, and, and, well, let's look at this. Then here's what Jesus said. To these guys who came back with this return of investment, in verse 23, he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So these, these guys, they received a reward, God was pleased with what, you know, they did, the master. And he was pleased with them. And that's what we want to hear from the Lord when we finish our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? 
And so this is how God treats us even in this life. He gives us opportunity, and he waits to see what we're going to do with it. Now, he's God. He knows everything, but we still have a choice. We have to choose what are we going to do with God, with what he gives us. Are we going to squander it or make the most of it? I want to receive a reward, don't you? I want my life to be a reward life when I stand before God. You know, a life filled with blessing. Here's what happens with this other servant, though. He said, I was afraid, so I hid your money in the earth. This is sad. And the master replies in verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. That is intense, right? Like, is this the same Jesus I grew up, like, thinking about? Like, the Jesus in the painting with the blue eyes, you know, who's, like, always all feminine and weak. Blessed are the weak. Right? Like, this, this is not how I think of Jesus, laying the smack down like this. You wicked and lazy servant, he says. If you knew I didn't mess around, why didn't you at least put my money in the bank and get interest on it? This is intense. So we got to pay attention to this because this guy, he was rebuked. The first two guys received a reward. This guy received a rebuke. And the master says, you're wicked, you're lazy, and you're basically dumb. I mean, that's intense. So what does it mean to be wicked? Well, if you understand how scripture used that word, it means that you lack faith in God. And faith in the Lord is what ultimately allows us to obey him. To be wicked is to be evil and to be profoundly immoral. So this is like really serious that to God, it's evil to waste opportunity. That's what it means. It's really, it's really serious. And I think about how this servant, it says he hid his money in the earth. You know, he buried it. That's what people used to do sometimes. They bury money. to. They didn't have like Chase Bank savings accounts. They just hide their money in the backyard and, you know, X marks the spot kind of thing. But I started thinking about that. Like, do we do that? Do we hide our money in the earth? And I think we do. In a different way, I started thinking about Colossians. It says in in chapter 3, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Same thing. So that's what we do, I think, sometimes is we get distracted, even as Christians, focused on the things of the earth. We want, like, more stuff, even though stuff quickly just fades and becomes worthless. Like your super cool iPhone 7, you already hate it. And you're like, when is the iPhone 8 coming out? You know, like he says, set your affections on things above, things that last for eternity, not on things of the earth. He's saying, think about God's plan. God's plan is so much better than, than just doing what feels good in the moment. Man, it feels good to sleep around, but God's plan is better. You know, one man, one woman, uh, Mary, and, and enjoying that gift. God's plan is always better. And so we want to do it the way that he calls us to it, not being distracted by things of the earth. So we got to think about that. I don't want to be a wicked servant. That sounds really bad. I don't want to be lazy because some people are just lazy. We know lazy people, they won't chip in. They make you do all the heavy lifting, like all your kids basically, right? Like feed me, wash my clothes. Like we don't want to be like that. We don't want to just make excuses. And then some people are foolish. And I don't want to be a foolish servant. Right? So how can you avoid being foolish? You get yourself an edumacation, right? And we got to increase our knowledge and understanding, and we can do that as believers by reading the Bible. It's so cool that we get to read the Bible in our own language and understand it, and we don't have to go to a priest and ask him to read it for us and then interpret it and hope he's telling us the truth. We can just read it ourselves and understand God's plan for our lives. 
I can educate myself. I can, be, I can be wise as a servant. So this wicked, lazy servant, he was rebuked because he did not use what his master gave him wisely. He dishonored his master by wasting his opportunity. And I think about my favorite show, Shark Tank. Have you seen this show, Shark Tank? It's not a show about aquariums or anything like that. It's a show about businessmen. And these guys are self-made, really rich dudes, businessmen who built themselves up a successful empire. And what happens is these entrepreneurs come in front of them and they pitch their business ideas and they tell them about this awesome opportunity and I want you to invest in my business and I'll give you a percentage of equity. And what the sharks do, the businessmen do, as savvy investors, they start to ask questions and evaluate the entrepreneurs. So tell me, what did you do? Like, how many sales do you have up to this point? How do you do this? Tell me about your business. They're evaluating these guys to see, are they uh, good stewards? Is this a place where I want to invest my money? And a lot of times they evaluate them and they say like, no, this is bad. I'll pass. And then other times they'll say, this person is on to something. I'm going to invest my money with this person. They'll even argue with each other and fight for an opportunity to invest with good stewards, with with good businessmen. And that's what God does with us, actually, as Christians. Like, we're Christians. We're part of his kingdom. He evaluates us. You realize that? I know it's kind of intense, but we got to think about this right now while we still have time to do something about it. And he looks to see, are you going to be faithful with what I give you? Because if you're not, I'm not going to pour more, bad, more uh, you know, good money after bad. I'm going to give that opportunity to someone else who will do something with it. So that starts to put my life into check, and I start to evaluate my priorities. And I'm like, man, I don't want God to take my opportunity and give it to someone else. I don't want him to take the blessings that he has for me and give them to someone else. I want those blessings. Is it selfish? Yeah, kind of. I want those blessings, right? So I want to be a good steward. I want God, the master, to look at me and say, like, I'm going to give you more opportunity. We want to begin with the end in mind. We want to live our lives like Jesus, our master, is coming back tomorrow. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, how would that affect what you do today? It would really shift our perspective, wouldn't it? And we would think about things differently. And we know that one day at the end of our lives, all of us as Christians will stand before Jesus and he will judge our lives. I don't know if if everybody realizes this, but it says this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what's this about? Paul is talking about Christians. Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So when we're saved and we believe in Jesus, we know we're going to heaven. But here's what's going to happen is that there will be a day when Jesus evaluates us as his servants to see, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, I'm not going to lie. Like you hear about this and you're like, he does what? Like this is kind of scary. This is a little bit intense. It's a little bit sobering, right? And listen, for some people, this is going to be a great day. Like some people, man, they've been serving the Lord faithfully. Maybe they didn't get a lot of recognition, but God saw, and now they're going to be rewarded. And Jesus is going to be like, here's your crown. Here's your other crown. You get a crown. You get a crown. We all get crowns, right? And like some people, they're going to have so many crowns on their head. Their head's going to be like falling over because it's so heavy. And other people, this is going to be a bad day. 
Like you're still gonna be saved, you're still gonna go to heaven, but there's gonna be some people who stand before Jesus with regret. And they're gonna think like I did as a young kid, I wish I had done more. I wish that I had made a better use of my time. I wish I had used my money differently. I wish I had said some things. I wish I had invited some people to church I could have invited. I wish I would have told some people the truth when I just bit my tongue because it was easier. Because one day we are going to stand before God. We want to think about that now. And we want to hear, well done. Let's celebrate. We don't want it to be a moment of regret. Now, the good thing is that even though it will be regretful for some people, Scripture says that Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye, right? So that even in that moment, if you're like, oh, man, that wasn't so great. You're still going to get to go to heaven because you believe in Jesus. But, man, I want to have a reward ceremony, don't you? I want it to be a good day. And so we got to think about that now, living our lives now in a way that that will be a good day. The judgment seat of Christ is not something I want to be afraid of. It's something I want to look forward to. We got to think about this now. So we got to get this in our heart. Are we going to make the most of our opportunity? And what we've done here as a church is incredible and it's unique. We got to say right now in our heart, I will make the most of my opportunity. You got to decide. You have an opportunity individually, and we have an opportunity as a church to make a big difference for the Lord. We have been given five bags of treasure. We got a full champ. We got the, God's given us everything we need. We got great people in this church, people that are dedicated, that serve the Lord with passion and are loving. Man, we got a mission field all around us in Ahwatukee, in Tempe, in Chandler, in Levine, in South Phoenix, where people need Jesus Christ. We've got a resource to use as building, and, and we've got the resources that God has given us individually. We've got the word of God to guide us. Thank God. We've got the Holy Spirit of the Lord inside of us, giving us power. We've got every opportunity we could need, and we've got to decide what are we going to do with it. Like, I will make the most of my opportunity, something we have to decide in our hearts today. What are we going to have to show for this? It's a precious opportunity. Now, as we get ready to close this message and our worship team is going to come back, I know that up until this point, if you're listening, it would be easy to say, man, this sounds like a lot of pressure, you know, because I want to do a good job but I mess up all the time, you know, I'm not perfect, and I haven't really done a good job up until this point. Well, first we need to remember that we're saved by grace. We get to live in God's grace, and with God we get another shot. Regardless of how you've lived up, in, up until this point, you can say, man, today is a new day, and from this point forward, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to be a good steward. I'm going to be a servant that looks forward to the day when my master comes to give rewards, right? We can think about that now. And so you understand that, and then you have to realize this. And I feel like this is what God is saying to me as I think about this topic, and this is what he wants to say to you. It's not pressure to live like this. It's not pressure. It's privilege. It is. And in our country today, privilege is kind of a bad word, and, and it's got a lot of baggage with it. But in the kingdom of God, privilege is just a good thing. Because when you're a child of God, guess what? You've got every 
privilege. This is what God is saying to us today. It's not pressure, it's privilege. I'm not living under pressure, I'm living in privilege as a child of God. Understand this, here's the definition of privilege. It's a special right, an advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group of people. Oh, I like that. That's us. We have this special right to call God our Father. We have the special right to come to him with our needs. We have the advantage of knowing the truth. We have the advantage of having the spirit of God inside of us. And then we know that regardless of what happens in this life, even when we stumble and fall, we have immunity from sin because Jesus has covered our sin with his blood and we're forgiven. So man, we're privileged. And that changes your perspective. Because now when you go forward to serve the Lord, you're like, I'm walking in privilege. I got the joy of the Lord, right? Like this is just a good life. And I get to walk in freedom. I know he doesn't love me less when I mess up. He doesn't love me more when I do good. He just loves me perfectly all the time. This is good news, right? And it's easy to think about all this that God calls us to do. And a lot of people, man, they just go, whew. Why we got to do all this, right? Like when you tell your kids to clean their room, you know, why are you doing this to me, mom? You know, they act like it's a punishment. And that's how a lot of Christians act about this kind of stuff. Like God wants me to do what? Why is he punishing me? Why is he making me serve? Why is he making me give? But God is saying it's not punishment, it's privilege. Jesus is saying that this is actually a part of your privilege. You get to do what he is doing. He's allowing us to share in the reward that he has earned by living a perfect and righteous life. He, we do that by, by walking in this with him and doing it with him. Man, so we get to enjoy this process, understanding this is a privilege. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet right now? Just as we get ready to close this message, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Because between you and God, the most important thing is that you have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, that you accept that Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven and you recognize that he's risen from the grave and you've decided in your heart, I'm making him my master, my Lord. And if you're here today and you need to do that, well, that's the most important decision you could ever make and the first thing that you need to take care of. If you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, maybe you never have, or maybe you did a long time ago and you've been far from God for a long time and you feel God drawing you closer to him today, you have to decide to respond to him and accept that free gift of salvation. So we're just gonna all bow our heads and have a moment of privacy between us and God. And if you'd say, I want to accept Jesus today, and commit my life to him, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up right now between you and God. That's awesome. Anybody else? That's great. I see that. That's so good. That's great, you guys. If you just raise your hand, I just want you to pray this prayer with me to express what's in your heart. Say, say, God, I know that I've sinned and I can't save myself, but I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven and I believe that Jesus rose from the grave so that I can be victorious over death. And so I'm going to live my life for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those people. That's so awesome. That's the most important decision that you could ever make with your life. Now, before we go, I want to ask you as well, as Christians, if God is speaking to you today, and you say, man, I want to make my life count. 
doesn't matter what happened yesterday. From this day forward, I'm going to make it count. Between you and God, just as a way of committing yourself to it, just responding, you say, that's me, I'm going to slip my hand up before everybody, before God, and say, I'm committed to this going forward. I need your help, Lord, but I want to do it, right? Just committing yourself to the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray together. God, you see every heart here that is dedicated to making their life count for you. And I pray that you'll help us to do it by giving us more of your spirit, God. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Fill our hearts with generosity and joy as we live in your love, God. We want to be good stewards. And I pray that as these Christians are, Lord, as we serve you, that you give them even more opportunity, God, and more blessing to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.